How's it going? And welcome to episode 137 of On The Wire. Proud member of the Pitcher List Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at OnTheWirePod. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin Hastings is at Hastings. Kevin on the Twitter and right next to me, virtually, of course, as you are now back in Hawaii, Kevin, after a long and what I assume was arduous trip to Arizona. How's, how's it going? It's going amazing. Been home for about 48 hours now from Phoenix area, actually staying in Mesa for the first pitch Arizona conference. I would like to take this opportunity to thank Baseball HQ, especially Ray Murphy, Brent Hershey, Ryan Bloomfield, all of the other baseball HQ uh, staff that p- puts on such an amazing event. It, it, it is just phenomenal. It was my fourth trip. It literally gets better every year. It's, yeah, not, I'm not going to rub it in much more, Adam. My feelings <laughs> on this. <laughs> That's fine. I In the last 24 to 48 hours, I've gotten multiple dms and or from people just saying i can't believe you weren't there why aren't you there or why weren't you there you gotta go next year i'm I pretty sure nick just demanded i think he just made it a requirement of my employment for next year <laughs> so we'll see how that works out nice yeah <laughs> but yeah did you participate in what i saw was a very fun and interesting wiffle ball game that was the addition to the event and was that an official like FPAS event or was that part of AFL or how did that go down? No, this was actually Justin Mason and Danielle. Of course. Salinger. I don't know why. Coming up with this idea the day before going to Walmart, getting all of the equipment. Everybody was super excited about it. Everybody that participated had an amazing time. Other than maybe Jason Colette, it wasn't nearly as bad as his scooter incident a few years ago. But he did make a slide. (laughs) Then and uh, doesn't have as much skin as he had prior to the wiffle ball game on a leg. But uh, I got caught up in a conversation right as it was time to head over there and didn't end up participating. Definitely will make a point to make sure that does not happen uh, next year because this is for certain now an annual thing. Oh, it was a great idea. I can imagine. Yeah. I don't use the term annual lightly. Like you have, for me, you can't use the word annual unless it's happened more than once, right? Otherwise it's a one-time event, but you can, I've seen video, I've seen photos, I've seen tweets about it. Um, I will go ahead and just assume this is an annual thing based on uh, all, all the positives that I, I've seen from it. We've got videos of all the pictureless staff, Scott Chu throwing Throwing some cheddar as well as one can do with a wiffle ball. Some nice swings, some nice bat flips from Mr. Crumpler there as well. That was, it was fun to watch. Definitely. All right. Yeah. I'll, I will, I will stop you now from again, rubbing it in a little too much though. I do ask for it. So I, like I always say, I like to live vicariously through everybody so far, but we let's get into some actual news last week or last episode. We had some problems finding news as obviously the world series was still happening. Now that's over and the winter meeting, the GM meetings are, are happening. We get plenty of news bites, plenty of actual player movement happening. We're not going to get too far into the Brian Cashman, uh, 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 just barrage of quotes. You can find those on your own. We'll get into actual, some player movement here or in one player actually on the move 
going from Milwaukee after going from the Mets to Milwaukee during the season last year. Going to Detroit is Mark Canna. He got traded to the Tigers. Does this really matter? How does they actually, early on in the offseason, we don't know how rosters are going to work out. We don't know. There's still a lot of free, all the free agents are still out there. There's still going to be trades happening between now and spring training. Uh, But as of right now, how are you seeing Mark Canna actually fitting in with the this young Tigers offense. Roster resource has him right about where I was thinking. It's funny, while in Arizona, and we were actually attending a panel, friend of the show, friend of mine, Lucas Berry, showed me the tweet and as the, the move was posted. And so we both started looking at the Detroit roster, and I thought he'd fit in right smack dab in the middle of the order. Um, somewhere in the five, six range, probably between Kerry Carpenter and Matt Veerling is where I was thinking they would slot him in. That's exactly where roster resource has him at his draft position. And the steamer projections are out. We're going to talk about that later in the show as well, but for his draft position and what steamer is projecting him for in approximately 500 plate appearances. He is a perfect bench outfielder in a draft champions league or a draft and hold league, depending on the site going close to pick 500 on average, even after this move still being drafted around 500, although he has snuck up inside the top 400 in a couple of the drafts since the move. So it's averaging out there and he has his average really hasn't moved up much because in a couple of the other drafts, he's still going after pick 500. So perfect bench player in a draft and hold format, in my opinion. Yeah. I just wonder, I think that 500 at bats that you mentioned that a uh, steamer hasn't projected at, it's probably pretty accurate. He's not a guy that he's pro- he, he might even find his way into a bench role with Detroit at some point throughout the season with the Kerry Carpenters and the Riley Greens of the world that are going to take up as much playing time as the Tigers are going to allow. So I can totally see him as being a role player for this team. He's lost his first base eligibility. I don't foresee him gaining that back in Detroit. Maybe he he only needed 10 games in season. Maybe that happens in a pinch, but I think it'll take a while if it does happen. So not something you need to bank on for sure. And yeah, I think you nailed it. That's a, it's a bench option. He'll be a bench option on our all snub team that we talk about later on in the show as well. And so we'll leave that, uh, that little carrot out there for everybody. If you want to hear a little bit more about Mark Canna for whatever reason, just stay, stay tuned to the end of the show. Other movements that happened in the last week or so, Tampa Bay unloading a bunch of players, three namely ones that got picked up off waivers. Jalen Beeks got picked up by the Rockies, RIP Jalen Beeks as a pitcher in the Rockies system. Now Christian Betancourt goes to Cleveland and then Josh Fleming going to Philadelphia. Besides the fact that Jalen Beeks is probably untouchable now as a member of the Rockies, does either one of the Betancourt to Cleveland or Fleming to Philadelphia move the needle for you with their new homes? Not during draft season. Maybe we'll talk about him on a particular week during the 2024 season when we're looking at pickups for the week, but I don't think I don't think I'm interested in draft season. Betancourt, 
eh, maybe in, in a draft and hold later as a backup, but I don't think so during draft season. Yeah, I think that the only thing this really does for me, Bancor is the only one that made of any interest to me, and not because I'm interested in Bancor, but I'm interested to see what kind of role he ends up with Cleveland and how much playing time he takes away from Bo Naylor. I was a big Bo Naylor fan going into last season. Obviously, it didn't work out, didn't get the playing time, not until the very, very end. And even at the end, it was very spotty. But you think that heading into this season, He'd at least be the front runner for the majority of playing time. But with Cleveland bringing in an established catcher who has had his moments in the spotlight, you wonder what kind of platoon you're going to see at that position in Cleveland, especially even with the new manager and what minimal impact they can have as well. So shout out to Stephen Vogt for getting that position in Cleveland as well. I'm really interested to see what he does as a, obviously, former catcher himself at the, at that position in Cleveland. All right, so we got a whole lot of free agents, especially on the pitching side going into this offseason. And we just got a whole, that the free agent market just got a whole lot wider with a whole bunch of players either opting out of their player options, their teams opting out of their side of the deal. One of them actually being a mutual option on both sides. That's Mitwer Merrifield. A uh, whole bunch of other ones. I'll just list them through. Players that I noticed are weren't going to be free agents. They are now. Adam Adovino, obviously in the bullpen. Sean Manaya opted out of his side of the deal with the Giants. Michael Walker did not get his option picked up by the Padres. Marcus Stroman chose to opt out of his Cubs deal. Joey Votto, the saddest one of them all, is no longer a Cincinnati Red. Possibly could could be signed back, but you know they they decided not to pick up that option as well. Also, Liam Hendricks, which really isn't applicable for what we're talking about for fantasy for 2024, obviously, and he's still going to get paid. It's just going to be deferred, but he's not on the roster any longer with the White Sox. Lance Lynn did not get his option picked up by the Dodgers, and then Seth Lugo decided to opt out of his side of the deal and become a free agent as well. So of this list, which one of these guys are you most interested to know where they're going to end up? Assuming none of the pitchers end up in Colorado. Okay, let's just say that because they just can't sign free agent pitchers in general. Which one of these guys are you most interested in knowing where they're going to find, where they're going to end up and which one can do the most either damage to their draft capital? based on where they end up going and or who can raise their stock. My, my first inclination is all of the pitchers that have experienced starting. Manaya, Waka, Stroman, Lance Lynn. Stroman, I don't think it probably matters as, as much where he ends up. It'd be more in terms of defense behind him than Park, I, I think, for him. And anywhere with a that that's not that was the whole scenario when he went to the Mets in the first place a few years back was that defense behind him, but he's performed well pretty much regardless. I really want to see how Sean Mania is used, so he might be the one I'm most interested to see when he lands. Is he going to be in a starting rotation? Is he going to be a long reliever? Is he going to be a combination of both as he was with the Giants last year? So I think that might be the most interesting one and the one that could affect my interest the most where he lands is probably Sean Manaya. 
Yeah, Seth Lugo, I think, fits into that, that category as well. He was pretty vocal about what he wanted. Him and Nick Martinez both wanted to sign either extensions in Nick Martinez's case or Seth Lugo in as a free agent where they were going to go because they wanted to be starters or they wanted to at least be considered for the rotation and not just automatically be put into a long man role or just in somewhere in the bullpen. So yeah, Lugo fits into that. So I'm assuming he's going to have the same mentality. And the reason he opted out is because of the success he had in that rotation when he was in it and just what kind of a prove it deal type of situation for him in 2023. Yeah. You can't help, but be curious about where Joey Votto is going to end up and whether or not he, he goes up North to into Canada and plays with the Blue Jays, even in a part-time role, just because he's Canadian. That would be interesting from a fan's perspective. From a fantasy perspective, I, I can't imagine him going anywhere besides Cincinnati, where he's going to be provided the kind of leeway that he was in a Reds uniform and get the kind of playing time where he can actually accumulate the production that's going to make him a little bit more viable can you see Vado going anywhere where he would slot in as the everyday DH slash first baseman anywhere? Probably not. And I don't even know that he wants, wants to do to. that these days at his age. Right. Uh, and, and another one Whit Merrifield, right? This one matters a lot where he lands. Is he an everyday player? Is he a platoon player? Is he a utility player? Because his, huge the the huge asset that he has been in fantasy baseball for so many years has relied on volume and so it's going to be really important to it, we may not even know when he signs it may be spring training before we even have a better idea but we'll at least start guessing once he finds a home and that'll be big because like i said volume is a big part of his uh, of his fantasy baseball value. All right. There's a, a couple other free agents, guys, we already knew were going to be free agents, but now they have a little bit of a weight on their shoulders with a qualifying offer. There were one, two, three, about seven or eight players that did get the qualifying offer from their team. So they will come with a draft pick compensation tag the their new teams if they sign with a new team obviously we'll have to give up so this does put a little bit of a strain on the uh, negotiations that they have in free agency i think that most if not all of these guys probably have enough talent and enough left in the tank that it probably won't deter somebody from paying up in the right circumstances namely shohei otani got the qualifying offer aaron nola blake snell Cody Bellinger, Josh Hader, Matt Chapman, and Sonny Gray, and Blake Snell, finalists for the AL Cy Young Award. Obviously, Otani in line for the AL MVP. Are, do you think, first and foremost, are any is anybody on this list going to accept the qualifying offer? I think last year was Jock Peterson was the only one, if I'm not mistaken, who accepted his qualifying offer. Do you see anybody on this year's list actually taking that? No, I, I don't. What is it, 18, 19 million this year? It's 20.5. 20 20.5. But I still, I think these guys are will all get multi-year deals. And even if the AAV on one or two of them end up being slightly below that, I think they'll go for the years. Yeah, I think that, I don't know, part, the, the only one that I think even comes close to this, and I 
I agree with you first and foremost. But if I had to pick one, it might even just be Sonny Gray only because mid midway through last season, there was an article that came over out on MLB.com where he did an interview talking about getting that 10-year mark, right? Where you get the pension, you get all the accolades for being a veteran for that many years. And he, there was a quote in there that said, I won't be surprised if I don't play again after this year just be going through all the changes he's gone through, through different teams and what have you. And part of me wonders if he's like, oh, you know what? I'll do one more year. I'll stay in Minnesota. I obviously had success. I'll take my 20 million and I'll go the Buster Posey route and I'll just leave early in my career. But I don't think that'll happen. I think literally it'll, it would be more likely he would just not play. He would just retire early if that's really where his mind is at. Or he would take, like you said, I'm like, I might as well just go out, go for the long haul, cash in on my Cy Young finalist season and make the, like you said, maybe he doesn't get 20 million a year. Maybe he gets 18 million a year, but he gets five years. Right. And so you take that guaranteed money and you run with it. Is anybody on this list actually going to be held down in free agency based on the fact that they have that draft, but like teams have to consider, or we're going to be giving up bottom of the first round or whatever, wherever their draft pick ends up being based on what is protected and what's not protected. Is, are any of these players actually going to be in the amount of teams that are going to go after them have it as it shrunk just because they have the qualifying offer? Maybe a couple of them. And I, I don't think they're going to have a, a hard time finding a deal, but there will be a few less teams interested, right? A guy like Matt Chapman, for example, this kicks out teams that are not going to be in contention. None of those teams are going to give up a draft pick to sign him, I don't believe. So it cuts down on the, the possible landing spots a little bit. So that might delay things a little while. But I think all of these guys are at the caliber where, sure, when they go into negotiations, it's going to be brought up and... But I, I don't think it's going to be too much of an effect. Was it three or four years ago where we had a couple of guys didn't sign until the quality that till after the draft? So that mm. qualifying offer draft pick. And then Kimbrell did that. Right. Yep. Yeah. And so I, I don't see that happening with any of these guys. And like I said, it's something that'll come up in negotiations, but I don't think it's going to hold any of these guys back too far. This is a nice list of players and it's going to be the, the it's going to be the teams that are, are spending money going for it in 2024 that are going to be interested in, in these guys anyway. So I, I don't think it's going to matter too much. Maybe just take a little extra time with a couple of them. Yeah. The team that, I, that comes to mind actually is like the Texas Rangers when they went out and signed Marcus Semyon and Seager and we lost draft picks by signing these guys to long-term deals. And that wasn't their, it wasn't the year. Like they signed these guys to long-term deals realizing, Hey, these are, we're not going to win next year. So we're going to lose these draft picks, but the same time, but they are going to be the core for many years to come. And so I could see a team like Baltimore even who's on the cusp of not worrying about losing that draft pick when they've already come out and said that we're going to add to our rotation, we're going to add to our pitching staff and not worrying about losing a draft pick to sign an Aaron Nola for many years or even a Blake Snell or one of these guys on this list. Now, I think that 
there's a possibility that if there if anybody on this list has any kind of extra weight, it is the pitchers only because there are so many pretty decent pitchers on the market going into this offseason. So any of these guys that have the the added weight of this qualifying offer is going to it's going to play a role. But yeah, we've got two Cy Young <laughs> finalists on the list. <laughs> One of them will probably win the Cy Young in Blake Snell. So I don't think that it's going to play that much of a role. All right, there's lots of news coming out of the GM meetings that we're hearing and we'll get to those in another episode. But we've got the other big news from a fantasy standpoint is we finally start seeing, I say finally, we're in early November here. We're saying <laughs> projections actually hit the shelves in, in the one of the first free ones that we see from a publicly viewing perspective are the steamer projections. You can find those over on the player pages at Fangraphs and obviously on the projections page over there as well. So we're going to talk a little bit about those and how they uh, stack up with some of the players that drafted or weren't drafted in our first listener league that finished up back in October. We're going to talk about those things right after this quick break. All right, we're back. We're going to talk a little bit, Kevin. I want to get your thoughts on the steamer projections for 2024 that just came out. Of course, these do get updated throughout the offseason, but we have our initial rankings. They'll get changed as players sign, as they get traded, as things that make a difference will change. But when you first see them, of course, it's a big deal. That's all every anybody tweets about when we see it. It seems to usually overlap with first pitch Arizona. It happens at the same time. So yeah, I'm sure you guys are all talking about it while you're out there as you see them or they or you start talking about them via Twitter like as on the flights home. But what's the first thing that you noticed uh, that kind of stood out for you, whether it be playing time, whether it be just a player you didn't expect to be projected so highly or so lowly on these 2024 projections? The biggest surprise to me is Steamer believes in the home runs that Yandy Diaz hit in 2023. They haven't projected for 21 in 2024. The 22 he had in 2023 nearly double of any season he'd had prior and we know many of them came early in the year the first few weeks of the season and that's probably the most surprising thing to me about this is, is they still have him coming up with that same home run total i've done two drafts i've done our 15 team fab league draft that we've done 30 rounds i did the first 23 rounds of draft champions league in arizona Andy Diaz went in the eighth round of one and the 11th round of the other. If you buy into these steamer projections, he's more like an early sixth rounder. And so if you, if, if you believe in steamer and you believe in their home run projection for Yandy Diaz, he will probably end up on a lot of your teams. <laughs> that is, that is a very specific thing that pointed out. I love that when you see, you start seeing people post things about, what stands out, what have you. It's usually a more general sense. I like that you went right for a very particular player. <laughs> yeah, I'm always disappointed of the players that are missing um, from these projections. Of course, you can't project 
guys like Yamamoto and the other guys that are going to get called over because you don't one they haven't signed yet they have no experience but I'm always interested to see how those end up being translated in so I'll be looking forward to when they finally sign and the projections can actually add these guys in for now I will just listen to the wise words of Tim McLeod when it comes to <laughs> these guys exactly <laughs> I was also re- fascinated by I I jotted down um who was the top 10 in each five by five offensive category and then saw how many players were on each list. Right. And the fact that there's been, I think 11, 15 team drafts and more like 18 total NFBC drafts and the max pick for Ronald Acuna jr. Is one. Mm-hmm. He has not, he's went one in every single draft. I'll, I'll be shocked unless it's a starting pitcher and somebody with the first pick wants to take a starting pitcher first. If he is not the first pick in every single draft, he is by far first in three of the categories we play. He's fifth in the fourth. The fifth one, he doesn't make the top 10, but he's 13th. And that's because he hits leadoff. And he's still projected for 100 RBI, making him 13th in the entire league. Nobody else comes anywhere close to even being on that many lists, let alone being at the top of three and top five and a fourth. It's just a no doubt pick. We don't often talk first round on our show when we're talking players eligible to be picked up week in week out so that was interesting to me then the players that are in the most categories are the guys with lower average and probably don't steal many if any bases you got aaron judge you got jordan alvarez you got kyle schwarber they're they're all ranked up there in runs home runs rbi the inner most interesting thing to me is other than acuna only one player is top 10 in any other category that is in top 10 in stolen bases. And that's Corbin Carroll tied for 10th in run scored. None of the other top 10 stolen base, according to projection guys are in the top 10 in any other category. So that's pretty fascinating to me as well. I want to say that I was uh, interested to see on the pitching side, we always talk about can't chase wins. But you have to. That's your that's yep. a Kevinism if I've ever heard one. So <laughs> it's interesting that they've Spencer Strider, leader in wins as far as the projections go, with 15. And then it just drops off a cliff. It just starts dropping off cliff after cliff. And you have players that are just not even coming close to what we once thought was an attainable number of 20 at one point or another. So it's just you you realize that like it's not going to happen again <laughs> based on the way the game is played. And the projections are just, they're aware of that. And they're just like, not even going to come close. They're not even going to, not even going like, to tease at this point who, who could get closer to that 20 mark. And then on the reliever side, just the fact that we have Edwin Diaz back at the top right away after missing entire season with 35 saves tied with Camila Duvall at 35. And it just seems as though, and I'm looking through comparing it to this year, at first glance, it seems as though, wow, there's a lot of closers on here that they're projecting to have 30 or more saves. You've got 13 different pitchers projected to get 30 or more saves. When you compare to this, we had actually 12 
and this was a little surprising to me, we actually had 12 closers this year collect 30 or more saves. So it's in line with for what they're expecting. But some of the names, like Evan Phillips, Clay Holmes, these guys I'm a little skeptical about whether or not their teams are actually going to provide them with enough opportunity, with enough consistent opportunities throughout the course of the season. To I, I don't necessarily doubt that these guys have the talent to do it, per se. Clay Holmes has had his own hiccups. Evan Phillips, I think we're all very aware of the talent that he brings and he could do it, it's just whether or not the Dodgers are going to do that with him. Um, so I think a couple of those names surprised me and Pete Fairbanks, we all know how good he actually is, but whether or not he can stay on the field, on the mound long enough to get those opportunities, Tampa will actually give him the opportunities, but he needs to actually be able to walk out onto the mound (laughs) and throw a baseball for them to do it first and foremost. And then you have somebody like John Duran, who obviously in a, in the short period that the twins were in the playoffs, He was all anybody could talk about as far as talent and just wow factor. And I think the twins showed that whether or not it's going to hurt his arbitration dollars that they're going to have to spend, they're willing to put him in to that role more often than not. And so I think that where the twins are at and the kind of games that they win, I would expect Durant to, to be a little bit higher in the saves category by the end of the year. I would expect him to be over the 30 mark. Steamer has him up for 28. So I don't know if there's anybody on the pitching side that stand out, stands out to you that uh, high cry. Not really specifically. I think it's intriguing along the lines of what you're saying. 19 pitchers um, projected for 12 or more wins. That, that's not very That's not a lot. <laughs> no. 19 pitchers uh, for 12 or more. And... 16 of those 19 projected for 12 or 13. Now, I I understand these are 50th percentile projections. Wins are very volatile. Any one of these guys projected for a dozen or more could spike and, and get to close to 20. Could be single digits. But it is interesting that the, there are, yeah, like you said, Strider at the top with 15. Framber and Max Freed with 14, and, and then it just goes down. Not, and not even to mention that of these 19 starters that you're talking about that are going to get 12 or more wins according to the projection, but we've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 of those 19 are projected to have double digit losses. So it's like they're going to get their decisions <laughs> right. in, in these starts. But the fact that they're all going to go 500 for the most part, or just barely above 500 by the end of the year is just, an, it's an interesting thing to think about when it really, when you're chasing wins, you're going to get stuck with a whole bunch of losses at the same time. Also, and our, I did this search a couple of days ago, but I am nearly certain I'm remembering it correctly. The most wins for a non-starting pitcher, for someone not projected to be in a starting rotation, four. Now, we know some years we have guys with eight, nine wins, and those are huge for us. But the I think this just really emphasizes how difficult it is 
to know or even guess and get lucky of which of those relievers will actually stumble into some wins. Yeah, now you got me curious and I started <laughs> scrolling through to see me like, oh no, he'll probably be in the rotation, but how long? I don't know. I, guess I just like scrolled down to, I saw somebody with a save. I, I was scrolling oh, a go. long time. <laughs> <laughs> you have somebody like Christopher Sanchez who could go either way. He could go back and forth. Yeah. Seth Lugo, same thing, depending on what role he ends up getting. Yeah, I see exactly what you're talking about there. And only three guys projected to get over 200 innings on the season as well. So I thought that was also something interesting to look at. Framber again, Logan Webb, and Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole, exactly 200 innings in 2024, according to Steamer. So a lot of things to think about. Obviously, any projection system, never mind the very first one that we get to look at, Steamer, is the end-all, be-all, but it is a nice jumping-off point. And we are going to use it to jump off into our next conversation here. We, I took a look at our draft results from our 15-team listener league that finished up um, in mid-October. And... Compared it to the steamer projections of players that were not picked. And I did a weird thing, apparently. I sorted by war because that's a valid fantasy statistic in most leagues, right? But it is a decent little way of looking at like the value that a player does provide. It weights a little bit heavier on some positions than others. We'll get into that in a second. But we're going to go through our all, what I'm calling like the all snub team. These are all players that are going to be all hitters, hitters only, that are going to be available in our first fab period in this league that would be starting in a normal roster put together on the NFBC platform. So two catchers, corner, middle, five outfielders, a couple of bench spots as well. We're going to get into that in just a moment after this quick break. All right. Like I said, we are going to talk about a couple players. Kevin, I'm going to get your take on whether or not these players, now that Steamer has is out and we have a more of a, a scientific projection on some of these players that might have gotten snubbed may not have made the cut in our last, in our first and only so far uh, listener league, a 15 team around NFBC. So 30 rounds, all the standard rosters put together two catchers, as I explained it just in a, sec- a second ago and go through kind of position by position. And let, I want you to let me know one thoughts on any of these players and whether or not, Hey, you know what, now that I have a better sense of what steamer things, what I think their playing time could be at, maybe I should have reconsidered these players as a bench spot, as a backup spot, maybe even as a starting spot in any of these scenarios and whether or not they're worth overtaking some of the riskier picks that a lot of players like myself (laughs) ended up taking, especially later on in their drafts because we're drafting in October and you have the flexibility of making these riskier picks because you've got a lot of, first, you still have a full thousand dollar budget to work at with your first uh, first bid and whether or not you think any of these guys are going to end up going in that first uh, fab run in, in April or late March, depending on when that first date runs. At this point, I should probably already know that, but I'll know that by the time the next episode runs around. Let's get catcher out of the way first and foremost, as war can be a <laughs> a fickle thing with catchers, especially on the, I'm using war from the fan graphs, right? obviously, because we're using the steamer projections found on their site. Patrick Bailey stood out and Jose Trevino, catcher for the Giants and the Yankees, respectively. 
the the war doesn't really do their projections justice. If anything, it's the opposite. The war is probably a little bit higher than what their projections end up being. But do you see either one of these guys getting enough playing time for their teams to actually be a viable catcher streamer in any scenarios? I like Patrick Bailey as a second catcher. If you're taking a second catcher late in a 15 team two catcher league, he's, he's actually, that's where he's going in average ADP so far on NFBC drafts. Uh, there's been 11, 15 team drafts as we're recording. His ADP is 27th amongst catchers. I drafted him on Saturday as my second catcher. So I, I, I think, that's about right. The hope is that his great defense gets him in the lineup a little more than he's projected for. Uh, Steamer hasn't projected 97 games, 353 plate appearances. If he can get that to 110, 400 plus plate appearances, then that eight or nine home runs he's projected for becomes double digits. We get up to closer to 50 runs, 50 RBI. Not bad for a second catcher in a two-catcher league. So I, I like Patrick Bailey. I'm worried about how much playing time Austin Wells is going to get at catcher as far as Jose Trevino is concerned. And so I haven't really looked at him much yet, but in and draft and hold leagues, when we're going 50 rounds, 750 players deep, he's going to be drafted. And he's somebody I've always kind of liked in, in that situation. Not somebody I'm going to set and forget in a league, but a, a guy that's nice to have sitting there when you need a catcher. He's I'd rather have them than Martin Maldonado, put it that way. <laughs> Especially with the news that with Dusty Baker gone, that Maldonado Yenier Diaz is going to be the primary catcher going into 2024, which got everybody singing praises and hallelujah, throws out some hallelujahs and what have you for that. Yeah, Trevino, I mean, I don't know, Trevino's a non-factor for me in most scenarios beyond possibly a really deep as a third or possibly even fourth catcher in a draft and hold. He just seems he he's had some sparks where it's like, all right, if he can go on a run, if he can get some extra playing time or consistent playing time, he can volume his way. He just, those volume sprints, they are exactly that. They're sprints. They're not marathons. They don't last very long. Um, and yeah, with uh, Austin Wells right there for the Yankees, uh, going to be fighting for the starting spot out of spring training if he doesn't already have it. Um, that'll be something that, uh, puts him on the back burner for sure. All right, let's move to, let's just, let's lump in, uh, the corners, uh, that I got on here. So, um, in, uh, oh, in Anaheim, Nolan Chanul, uh, at first base, um, and then at third base, Yon Mankata for the White Sox leading the charge here. And the other corner, here's Ryan Noda of Oakland, also first base. You look at. If I pull up their projections I got right here that hopefully aren't out of date, but they're still, I, I think Steamer's already updated some things because as you were talking about Patrick Bailey having 97 games projected, my uploaded version had him at 90 games. So I'm like, all right, great. Steamer's already making updates <laughs> and I only update, updated this like two days ago, but Chanel at 125 games for the Angels looking projected to hit 59 score 59 runs 
knock in 53 runs at the first base position does still fit into the narrative that we're hearing right now. That first base is plenty deep enough. You can wait. If if you do wait past the first cliff that you might as well wait forever because there are plenty of options to fill that gap in Ryan Noda is pretty much right there with him, but with the history that he had with Oakland batting near the top of the lineup, projected at 71 runs scored with 19 home runs there between these guys at first base. Do you have a preference and can you see these guys squeezing their way into a corner spot in as drafts go on? I think so. And all of these guys are going in approximately the same spot in drafts or fairly close together Uh, and including DJ LeMahieu, who you have listed as the UT for this team eligible at first and third base. So obviously at corner, I think the problem is going to be even at the corner stolen bases were up so much and they probably don't go up another 41%, but they probably continue to at least go up a little more, right? As not every team bought in and now they have an off season to say, Oh, maybe we should have. (laughs) And so they're probably going to go up a little more. So it's going to be really difficult with a guy like Moncada, unless he makes a complete turnaround and does steals double digit bases, which he hasn't done since what? 2018. I want to say 2019. So it's going to be tough. I think I'm going to be looking for guys that at least contribute somewhat, just no zeros. And he's had, one, two, and three, his last three seasons, he's projected for three. I think we're going to have to steer away from these guys in most cases, unless you've really taken care of it early and you got two or three of the the guys you think are going to steal 30 or more. Otherwise, it's going to take, you're going to want a, a good chunk, close to double digits from almost every player on your roster. And we already know other than a couple of guys, you're not getting many at catchers. Yeah. I think that's going to steer me away from some of these guys, but they're all going in about the same spot after pick 300 as even their minimum pick, I think for most of them. So they're definitely going to come into consideration, but I'm going to have some stolen bases banked before I can consider most of these guys. Yeah, I get that. Actually, I mean, I know you can't just translate what a guy did in the minors, especially uh, in stolen bases, but Ryan Noda did in 2022 did have 20 stolen bases, only got caught four yeah. times at AAA, had a couple of seasons prior to the uh, shortened 2020 season in double digits at the stolen base in the stolen base mark 14 in both 18 and 19 respectively the seasons 2018 2019 in the low minors he can do it whether or not Oakland wants to let him do it that's a different ball game and obviously the the catchers that are throwing you guys out in the minors are at a different level than we we're seeing at the major league level and Chanel's moved so quickly that you almost don't even know what he could possibly be doing. He had 12 stolen bases. Sorry, he had one stolen base last year, but at the same time, he only had 60 at-bats at double A. I I don't see him as a threat. Yeah, he's not going to be the option for stolen bases per se, but who's to say he can't, you know, 
throw in five or five or six if he's really feeling frisky. All right, middle infield then, Kevin. We got at starting at second base on our all snub team right here is Davis Schneider in Toronto with a pretty clear opening, I think, at second base for the Blue Jays, especially with Whit Merrifield not taking on his option for the Blue Jays as well. At shortstop, Geraldo Perdomo of Arizona, um, starting him at shortstop here, but eligible at second base as well. And then Brendan Rogers also available at second base for the Colorado Rockies, filling in the middle infield position. And I, I will go ahead and lump in John Birdie, who's sitting on the bench of this roster, still eligible at third base and shortstop. So he does have that nice little middle infield, corner infield option. Did get his option picked up by the Marlins, so he will be on the roster. What kind of playing time we see out of him obviously will be a question mark until the season actually starts. But Schneider, does he get the strong platoon? Steamer seems to think that he will, as he's projected for 386 plate appearances at the time that I downloaded (laughs) these Steamer projections with only 94 games. Do you see that being on the low end, or do you think he gets that opportunities against righties? I think it's a little on the low end. Uh, I think he can get more playing time than that. I think that... He's projected for a 339 OBP. And as much as some people don't want to hear it, that matters a lot more than batting average to most of these teams. And that would that's good enough to keep him in his line in the lineup, especially with the power he has. So yeah, I can see the playing time actually go up quite a bit here with his walk rates that he's had all throughout his minor league career and continued at the major league level. That strikeout rate, we knew it was going to spike from what he was doing in AAA so far in 23, and and it did. But I think it comes back down a little bit. I, I like where Steamer has him projected. If he's going to be at a 26.7% strikeout rate down from 30.5 and continue to hit with the power that he did i I could see him getting closer to 500 plate appearances especially like you mentioned with merrifield gone i I could see him being close to an everyday first baseman getting quite a few rest days more than you'd like not quite an everyday player but i i think he's going to get some at bats against righties and the power is legitimate. Nick Pollock was actually brought his name up in Arizona when we were talking. He knows uh, he's a about, hitter, right? Uh, he knows he, yeah, he has he does. the bat. Uh, okay, cool. <laughs> about his quality of contact. This is about Brandon is. Drury a couple of years ago. This is right. next thing. Not a bad guy to be talking about a couple of years ago. He'd be being ahead of the mm-hmm. being ahead of the game a little bit. So yeah, I like Davis Snyder. The playing time is a concern. Not somebody you can count on to be an everyday player, but my hope is if his, if he cuts the strikeouts just a little bit, is being projected by Steamer here, he, he could fall into a little more playing time. Yeah, I know I brought it up and you talked about it as well with, with Whit Merrifield leaving the Blue Jays that 
opens up a little bit of play. It would be smart to mention, obviously, the Blue Jays have other infielders working their way up as well. And I would expect to see Orelvis Martinez and Addison Barger make an appearance throughout the course of the season. Both have experience at shortstop, but obviously that position is locked up at the moment for the Blue Jays. So they would be forced to move into either a second base role or with Matt Chapman leaving a third base role with Kevin Biggio also on the roster as well, who can move around a little bit. So there is going to be a little bit of competition throughout the season, but it's one of those things production is going to win out everything. Right. So if Schneider can get that playing time early and do something with it in April, I would expect him to hold on to it. So we'll see what happens in spring training. This will be a fun spring training situation to be monitoring and what kind of playing time they're giving him there as well. It's like if they're still putting him into a strong platoon in spring training, then I don't expect that to change once the season starts. But at the very least, if they're giving him as many opportunities to succeed in spring training, then that'll be something that I actually will take away from spring training with a little bit more grievance. Yeah, this is the kind of guy you want to see hitting at or near the top of the lineup in spring training. Mm -hmm. That's not where he's going to hit during the regular season, but it just is a indication that the team wants to see him get as many at-bats as possible and get those at-bats against right-handed pitching and and see if it's something that will work in the regular season. Uh, I would really like to see him hitting at the top of the lineup when spring training games start. Gerald Pernomo obviously has some players in his way in Arizona with Jordan Lawler at shortstop and Cattell Marte taking majority of the time at second base, especially after that strong playoff push that he had. Um, but is this a guy where he's worth stashing, hoping for some kind of injury to give him a little bit more playing time? Right now, Steamer has him at 485 plate appearances throughout the course of the season. Does he do enough where he can actually volume his way into something? At 485, they still only got him at seven home runs and 13 stolen bases, right around 50 runs in RBIs, respectively. Is it, is it production that is worth banking on that it, and he can volume his way more? Or is it just something that you just plug in if, if he's available? Yeah, I think he's a guy that'll be sitting there for us if we need him. And I used him quite a bit more. I I used him more in 2023 than was good for my teams. That's how bad things were going (laughs) in a couple of spots. The problem is the the guys you mentioned, that's, that's even if he is getting some playing time, it means he's staying at the bottom of the lineup. And so those 50 ish runs and 45 RBI that he's projected for, are, are probably about right and may even be like the top of the, the possibilities. And that's where it's really going to hurt you. Sure. If, if a guy's going to hit single digit home runs, but give you a nice batting average and steal some bases, you can make it work, but it really hurts in the other categories, the runs, the RBI 240 batting average doesn't kill you. But if you're using a player like that, you want him to be helping your batting average, not even being a slight drain like that would be. I, I think he's one of those guys that, yeah, he'll be sitting there on the waiver wire. If you need him in a pinch, hopefully the the schedule and matchups for the week are such that he's going to get a little extra playing time. But I, I really don't have much interest, at least in a draft. 
All right, let's move over to the outfield then. We got five guys here, obviously five starting outfielders, plus Mark Canna, as we talked about earlier, sitting on the bench as our backup outfielder on this fictional roster. Always thought this would be an interesting draft strategy in the 12-teamer, especially in the head-to-head. Don't draft. You only can pick the free agents. It should be some kind of weird rule in Dynasty or Keeper League or whatever. All right, if you come in last next year, you can't draft. You only can pick up players that are that are free agents and see how well you can possibly do. That's what this team represents. <laughs> and I'd wonder in a head-to-head league if you could actually make it work. Roto League, probably not as viable. But right here, we've got Alec Thomas of Arizona, Mike Yersimski of the Giants, Andrew Benintendi of the White Sox, projected for 12 home runs, which would be more home runs than he's had in the last two seasons combined, five in each of those. And then two free agents, Harrison Bader, who is leaving the Yankees, and Jock Peterson leaving the Giants. We'll see if he can find a find a team that's not going to platoon him. Steamer thinks that he'll do okay for himself with 508 plate appearances, good for 23 home runs in a 254 batting average all day long. First and foremost, let's start with the free agents, Kevin. Does Bader and or Peterson, do they do any, can they find a spot that will play? Like, Jock Peterson, they th- he went, he, he's been the same, he's been in the same situation where he's been vocal about, like, hey, I want to go where they're going to play me as much as possible. And at first we thought that was going to be the case with the Giants. It obviously did not turn out. Nobody got full-time playing time with the Giants. But can Peterson find a place that is going to get him the 500-plus plate appearances that Steamer is going to provide? I don't think so. We thought that was going to happen in 2021 with the Cubs. Then he got moved. And then we know what happened with the Giants. He got, he barely gets over 400 plate appearances in his two full seasons with them. Yeah, he was banged up a time or two here and there as well. That affected that. I just don't think we're going to see that the 500 plate appearances like he had in 2019 with the Dodgers, unfortunately. Now he's hit over 20 home runs on multiple occasions with 440, 430 plate appearances. So he's somebody always on my radar, especially in draft and hold leagues where I can have him not draft him as a, one of my top five outfielders, but have him available as a, five slash six where I'm playing him many half weeks depending on the starting pitching matchups but I don't think he gets the plate appearances we want to now this is if he's going to I'm even more interested than in that case it's really hard to tell though he only had 52 plate appearances versus lefties this season and sure he hit 186 but more importantly only one home run so he, he doesn't have the power when he's hitting versus lefties either or at least didn't in 2023 in a very small sample size i understand but um yeah, I think he's one of those guys you probably don't want him hitting against too many lefties. So I'm completely contradicting what I just said. It's just going <laughs> to drag the batting average down that much more. So it, it, it's going to be, I think he needs to go to a team where he most definitely is in the lineup and 
in that four or five spot, upper half ish of the lineup on a daily basis versus righties to to boost the plate appearances a little bit. But I think Jock Peterson, we know who he is for the most part. That's the thing is who he is. And like you said, he keeps hitting 20 or more home runs regardless of the volume. And so in a Roto League, he can still be a pretty viable, like you said, a five or a six where you're going to be putting him in on a regular basis based on how many games he's going to be projected to be playing in that in that half week. So just because somebody is strictly a platoon player, if they're still producing, like you said, also it's not draining his batting average. If he hits 254, like Steamer thinks he's going to, that is a positive thing, especially in this day and age, anything over 250, you're like, okay, that I'll take it to the bank all day long. But then you have somebody like Harrison Bader, who very well could be not be a platoon player if he could just stay healthy long enough to get those plate appearances. So he's also projected for less than well, 432 plate appearances by Steamer. But I, I take it that's less so about, you know, the type of player he is and the projection he can put in and just that how would be the most confident. plate appearances of his career. Right. <laughs> that's exactly the difference yeah. you're talking about here, right? All due to staying on the field. If we thought Harrison Bader could stay on the field, he's right a 2030 guy if, if he could play 145, 150 games. Some year that might happen. It's not something we can count on happening. And I think you maybe bump the projection a little bit over 105 games. Maybe you're hoping for more like 115, 120. And that actually gets you that gets you upper teens home runs, 25 stolen bases, close to 30. I, I think there will be some interest here in Bader. In fact, I, where is he going right now? We can find that out real quick. Oh, the 102nd outfield off the board, 14. Uh, but he has been drafted higher than that, as high as 277. That's still that seems 18th high. round. <laughs> That's still 18th round, 18th, 19th round yeah. of a 15-team league. I I think he's probably worth taking a shot on here and, and, and hoping for health. Yeah, that's you're not getting that production this late in the draft without a little bit of luck. And if that little bit of luck is Harrison Bader staying healthy, you could turn out with a really nice player here. Yeah. The other guys that are on this list that already have teams and you can know what their role are on those teams. Of course, Alec Thomas in Arizona, Mike Yurskimski in the, in San Francisco still. And then Andrew Benintendi for the White Sox. Does he actually hit more than five? home runs for the White Sox in that stadium you'd think he would yeah it's been crazy with Benintendi how the power just disappeared and it was pretty pretty frustrating the first half of 2022 because he he hit 17 for the Kansas City Royals in 2021 sure the ball was a little lively it wasn't it wasn't 2019 bouncy Mm, ball but it was pretty close in 2021 and then 2023 though the ball was jumping 
pretty well again, and he only had the five that you mentioned in 621 plate appearances. And when he did it in 2022, it was like, okay, he gave me a 300 batting average. His batting average was back down to 262. We haven't seen that in his entire career other than just the 14 games he was able to play in 2020. So he, he has to have a big bounce back here. I, I am not interested in Benintendi at all. I don't buy these projections at all. I understand where they come from when they're going back at least three seasons and they're using more than just the stat lines that, that we're speaking of right now. But I, I don't see this for him, especially giving him the, the jump in a batting average back to nearly 270 and over doubling his number of home runs. I just don't see that happening. Yeah, same same number of home runs as stolen bases. 12 home runs, 12 stolen bases by Steamer, though they have him being caught five times as well throughout the season. So I'm, I'm not really banking on that being a threat. The only thing that stands out really that's a, as a positive on these projections really is just the fact that we know that Ben Tendy is going to be at the top or near the top of that lineup of you're always going to be interested in any one or two hole player in general just for the run scoring opportunities with Tim Anderson not coming back to probably not coming back to the White Sox after being cut there as well Ben Tenney very well if at the very least has a solid hold on the two spot if not moving all the way up to the leadoff spot for the White Sox and after seeing some tweets about how many people they have in their analytics and scouting departments I don't think they're gonna make a whole lot of changes (laughs) based on that and so we'll see how they adjust to any information that could possibly they could finally get their hands on. Alec Thomas making a little bit more noise for himself in the in the off season, sorry, in the postseason for Arizona. And obviously he has not in the postseason, but still finding himself with some added playing time with the Giants. Based on the production and age and just where they are with their teams, you got to pick one of these guys. You're going to put both of these guys into your waterfall bids in week one. Who's going toward the top and who's going to be pushed down a little bit between just these two guys? That's a tough one, the way you phrase that. Because I like them both for different reasons. I like Alec Thomas, that obviously the team wants him to be their guy. The worst month of his 2023 season was September, and then they stuck with him throughout the postseason, and he performed for them. They made the right decision. And so that pretty much, uh, in my mind, is, is, a, is a boost to his playing time going into 2024. Uh, we've seen him being sent down more than once since he's made his MLB debut. And with his prospect pedigree, the fact that it, it appears the team has confidence in him, he may get a really good run in in 2024 and, and get into more than the 126 games that he is projected for. Mikey Stremski, he's going to be platooned, maybe not as often as he has been in the past, but 20 home runs, 70-some runs, 70-some RBIs are are not easy to find, once again, that late in drafts. And so that is very appealing as well. He's a guy that I think probably will require a little more maintenance due to the platooning. But I like both of these guys, especially where they're being drafted. Yeah, I think that 
these guys, of course, did not get drafted in our listener league back in October. And like you said, they are still getting drafted, especially in DCs and, and 15 teamers. Not that there's a whole lot of fab leagues being drafted at this point in the season. So that's why these guys are listed as not being drafted. But toward the end of the draft, anywhere between pick 340 and onward in our draft, these guys, all the outfielders that were taken at that point are at least according to Steamer, are pretty interchangeable with Alec Thomas and and, and, and Mike Krzyzewski. Take your pick between your boy, Michael A. Taylor, 14 home runs, 47, 48 RBIs and runs, and just somebody like Oscar Colas, Benintendi's teammate in, in Chicago, pretty similar, 15 home runs, 45, 50 runs and RBIs. You have guys like that are just like, all right, it's just about whether or not you want to take the risk on these guys stepping up above those projections versus the guys that are a little bit more known and you know that they're going to be on the waiver wires, you're going to be able to pick them up, you're going to be able to fill in your spots on that first in that first fab period. And that's why I that's why I worded it in that way because these guys they very well are going to be bid on by somebody who took a risky pick who it didn't work out or they have some injury that they need to fill. And these are the guys that are going to be on their roster for a long period of time. These, this, the first fab period, you're not necessarily going after guys that you want to stream that you think they just have a good week one matchup and you want to take advantage of it. These are guys you need, you're probably investing in as somebody who's going to fill in your bench. They might even fill in a starting spot based on the, what's happened to your roster throughout the offseason. And you really got to consider what kind of long-term value they're going to provide you through the month of April, if not beyond. Let me ask you, Adam, just based off their projections and with the playing time that they're projected for and the stat line, which of the two players do you like better? To dra- All right. I'll put it this way. To draft, I would draft Alec Thomas over Mike Yuskimski, especially right now, just based on the fact that a lot can change. He could claim a little bit more playing time next to Corbin Carroll in the outfield in Arizona. I already know what I'm getting out of Mike Yuskimski. He's been doing it a little bit longer. He's established. If we're going, it's week one fab right now, I probably flip him based on what I know about their playing time and where they're going to be at. But I think that Thomas has a little bit more upside. Thomas is actually going almost 150 picks earlier on Mm -hmm. average in NFBC drafts so far. They're not as nearly as close together as, as I thought they were. That's why I asked. Yeah, yeah, I think it really has to do. It's the playoff tax Everybody we talked about. Everybody agrees with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're drafting it's, Thomas quite a it, bit earlier. It's yeah. that playoff task that we talked about in the last two episodes. Absolutely. That's part of it for sure. But it's also that upside drafting at this point. You're almost all even in draft and holds. You're still drafting upside early on in early drafts where you're drafting a little bit close. You're, you're more so drafting floor, I think, in March than you are in October, and November. Yeah, let's close it out here with the bench guys. I mentioned them in both scenarios, but we didn't really get into them. But John Birdie, available. He should still be eligible at third base and shortstop. Who loses outfield eligibility, he may gain it back. But going into the season, still corner, middle infield. 
Mark Canna, backup outfielder. Ben, these are their two bench spots I put on this roster in this fictional roster. Can't Birdie is going to be projected based on the playing time. It's simple as that. Still projected for 23 stolen bases by Steamer in just 115 games. Still, power is not there. Obviously, you're not drafting him for that. He's not going to get the 40 stolen bases that he once did. But 23 is not a bad, not a bad number. Mark Canna on the other end, we talked about him at the start of the show, probably more of a role player for the Tigers. Don't love that he's in that ballpark and Steamer has him for 13 home runs in Detroit as well with basically a 50-50 run RBI split there in just 122 games. Is it just the eligibility, the position eligibility kind of pushes it over for me for Birdie over Canna? But if you had to, there are different positions I'm not sure if that plays that much of a role here, but I'm probably going birdie just because stolen bases are still a thing, man. It's yeah, there are more stolen bases out there, but they're, they really ended up being, and we can do a whole nother episode. We're already over the hour mark. We're not going to get into it that too deep here, but stolen bases were still being eaten up by the top echelon of players. The fastest players were just getting more of them. It wasn't as though the guys that were getting, two to three stolen bases and all of a sudden are getting 12 or 13 stolen bases on the year and spraying it all out. It was the Ronald Cunha's of the world. It was the Corbin Carroll's of the world just getting 10 to 20 more than they normally were. So I still think that stolen bases are going to be something that you're going to have to account for. And there's still going to be something that's going to be drafted a little bit higher. And if you miss out on a lot of them in the top half of your draft, you're going to have to be stuck with somebody like John Birdie. Yeah. And He's projected to get into 115 games. I think it's more than that. Uh, as a pinch runner, we talk about this quite a bit in season when we're talking about streaming someone for stolen bases. A lot of guys like John Birdie don't necessarily have to start the game in order to get you a stolen base that game. There are other infielders right now, according to roster resource, Xavier Edwards and... I just lost it. Oh, Garrett Hampson are the two behind him. They have John Birdie as a starter and not platooning. I'd be willing to take a shot on that, especially when he's already projected for over 20 stolen bases in the playing time he's projected for. If he's going to get a little more playing time than that, and that goes up, that becomes very valuable. He's not going to hurt you in batting average. He's not going to help you much in home runs but he does hold his own for the amount of playing time he gets in runs and rbi so a guy like john birdie can be a really valuable player yeah and i just think that even with the limited playing time yeah his value comes like you said whether it's in pinch running situations or or in games he's playing or not playing as a part as a part to canna who if he's not playing that's it yeah maybe he gets a pinch hit every now and again but it's nothing guaranteed if Birdie is being put in there as a pinch runner, he's he's probably going to run. There's a reason you put him in. Even as his age keeps increasing, he's still pretty efficient on the base pass. Something to consider as you're trying to scrape together any stolen bases competing against everybody else. Any final thoughts on on that's our all snub team, whether or not they get I I, I would say all right, of all these players that are on this list, Kevin, what's what percentage of them get bid on and picked up in the first fab period of this league. I'm 
calculating really quick in my head half I could see half of these guys getting picked up depending on of course it's going to depend on injuries throughout the offseason and in spring training uh but uh, a lot of these guys I don't think there's anybody that really stands out as oh we forgot that guy mm, yeah. he definitely should have been drafted I we don't have one of those guys but all of these guys are guys that are viable if you've lost players or yeah, as we like to talk, we like guys with multi-position eligibility on our bench in FBC formats because that's bigger insurance for the Friday through Sunday lineups. It helps cover more guys if they would get injured in the first half of the week. So the Perdomo and the Birdie and the LeMahieu, those guys I can see just being picked up because you have an obvious drop as insurance for the weekend in those leagues. So I'm, yeah, I could see roughly half of these guys being snatched up. Yeah, that's probably smart. I think my top three here that I, I would say is are close to 100% lock of getting picked up based on what happens, especially what happens in spring training, are DJ LeMahieu just based on the fact of that uh, dual eligibility. And I think that he'll continue to have a role with the Yankees, even with the youth coming up there in New York. Alec Thomas, as we talked about earlier, already being drafted much higher than, in, than the other outfielders in, on this list. And I think David Schneider has the opportunity to be a lockdown pick just based on what happened. This is, like I said before, based on what happens in That's spring the guy that could bomb his way into into some fat into, bucks into the being first spent week sure. fat, right yes absolutely <laughs> one guy i want to bring up that's not a snub and i think I, I mentioned this to you a couple of days ago he's not a snub he's getting drafted but based on projections not just steamer i was using uh todd zola's master's ball projections drafted in arizona as well the player being drafted way later than his projections that i have noticed is josh bell he went he was available in my draft several rounds after where he was projected for and i already had my first baseman already had my corner i just kept letting him go he finally got picked and he's projected for a much better season than where he's been drafted so far in the drafts i've been in i didn't even look at his adp yeah, it went 267 in, in our draft. And yeah, 23, Steamers got him for 23 home runs, 70, 80, 70, or close to 80, 80 runs RBIs. Of course, these are the counting stats. You, the top level counting stats you care about in, in your Roto Leagues. You can look at all the underlying metrics that you want, but production at the end of the day is what gets you your points. Yeah, um, at, at an ADP after pick 300, the 27th eligible first baseman off the board his projections are way better than that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kyle Manzardo. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see how that works out. Everybody likes the uh, the shiny toy that could possibly be doing something. So we'll see how that, how that all plays out. But I like the call out for sure. Kevin, a lot of fun stuff happening throughout the course of the off season. Obviously some fun stuff has already happened and we won't mention what that is or what that has been again. But you want to leave us with any other notes to chew on as we continue on through the arduous baseball offseason? I have one piece of advice for anybody that heard about gladiator drafts on the NFBC last year and thought they were interesting and didn't get in. From the talk I heard in Arizona, you better start signing up for those leagues now, even if it's ones you don't want to do uh, until later. They are going to fill quick. There you go. 
There you go. A lot of fun stuff happening. You can, there's a whole lot of drafts and a lot of platforms that you can do. They all offer something a little bit different. Gladiators are definitely something different. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. That is going to sum it up for us on episode 137 of On The Wire. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back each and every week throughout the course of the offseason talking about different subjects. If there's something you want us to focus on, please let us know. You can follow myself on the Twitter at 80 Great. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Pasting Kevin. Of course, follow the pod, message the pod itself at On The Wire Pod. After all that, I am Adam Howe on behalf of Kevin Hastings. Thanks for listening. We bid you goodbye.